it's been a tradition the last several years that I I start off uh, I give talks on beginning of the year and the, and the end of the summer and uh, I think in June beginning of the summer as well so I usually give two or three talks a year and this year uh, um, I'm excited to give this this talk and they ask me oh well what are you going to talk about I have no idea until the last minute but this year I thought it would be good to talk about um, this idea of wisdom. So the title of the talk is Wisdom, uh, Now or Never. And I stole that from Krishnamurti. Uh, he says, freedom is now or never. And so what the heck do I mean by saying something provocative like that? Uh, what I mean is that we have this idea, especially in meditation practice, we have this idea that you have to sit and that that's where your wisdom comes from. And I'm here to tell you that if you read um, all of the yogis who have gotten enlightened, they usually get enlightened when they're doing something else rather than sitting. I don't know if you noticed that or not. Um, so there's something about cultivating the ability or cultivating that uh, our, so that we have that experience of a aha moment or so it could be uh, like a, a knowing on a small level or knowing on a really big level that something clicks and we, we, we get clear understanding or we get uh, deep understanding about something. And so the whole intention of me giving this talk, and, and I've been doing a series of things, um, I'm very big on this idea of practice but also cultivating a community. Uh, I've been doing stuff not just here at CIMC but I've been doing stuff at uh, other places like on the 13th of, of January I'll give a a workshop called um, uh, Wisdom Begins with Wonder, and, and that's the second uh, mindfulness math class I've given because I think it's important that we have these opportunities to practice and to talk about practice. And one of the other things I've been doing is, is, is doing this uh, Thursday live championship conversations on Facebook where I have a guest and we interview. And so... What am I getting at? So if you read some of the, um, this idea of cultivating a wisdom or this idea of what are the virtues, and the four virtues have to do with good friends. And in this tradition, we talk about having good friends or teachers. We don't call them teachers necessarily. We call them good friends. And we talk about um, this idea of suitable conversations. And that's, that's what I'm replicating here, having suitable conversations, but also living in accordance with the teachings. And so the idea of this whole context of, of the Buddhist teaching is not to believe what I say, but to see if it's true. So the idea is to give teachings and then to have this idea of, um, and it's interesting if I'm going to record something, I start with the recording on. Uh, but that's the thing about mindfulness and wisdom is, you know, you keep flowing like water. You know, if you forget something, you just keep going. It's like being a musician. You hit the wrong note and you keep going because the audience doesn't know. I have no idea. Uh, so, but that's, that's what the wisdom is about. So it's having these uh, good friends or having a community where we come and we talk about how do we do this thing called life in a way where we're focusing on having conversations, having discussions that lead to action, positive action, and then living according to it. So, okay, you get some teachings, so the idea is to we'll see if it's true. Check it out. And you're, you're to have a subjective experience of what is being offered. And the fourth thing is this idea of wise reflection. We don't talk about it a lot, but it's really, really important, and it's part of 
what we would call uh, wisdom. So I'm going to give you a quick, a short definition of wisdom. So you can think of wisdom in three ways. Information, intellect, or rational thinking, and insight, or direct experience. And so when we talk about being mindful, we talk about, okay, going someplace or doing something, it's really important that we understand, uh, ask ourselves questions like, you know, so why am I here? Or what am I doing? What is this? How do I practice or how do I listen in a way that's conducive to me really getting what is being offered? So a lot of people have this illusion that mindfulness or, or meditation has to do with not thinking. But we do have, a, we, we have one, of the, um, one of the path factors that's called right intention or right thoughts. So it's important that we think about things. We think about, well, what are we doing? And why are we doing it? And how is it working? How do we know something's working or not? So mindfulness by itself is not enough because mindfulness is, you might say, it's like a mirror. It just reflects what's there. But we have to know what we're being mindful of and why. So you heard this saying, be mindful of time. What does that mean? Okay, be mindful of the time. But okay, so I'm mindful of the time, but I got to have a little bit more direction than being mindful of the time. Why? Because I have to do something at a certain point in time or it's because I'm running out of time, or is that when I begin something? So you get where I'm getting at with this? And so it's really thinking from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep, you could be cultivating wisdom or getting information, collecting data. So one way to look at what I'm offering here is it's like doing a jigsaw puzzle. So you have these factors of mind like mindfulness, like diligence, or right effort. And you have concentration, which means you're not focused on likes and dislikes, or, or focused on the, pre, uh, the past or the future, you're right here, and your mind is right here, and you're focused on what you're doing right now. And you have to have enough faith to even consider doing this stuff. So you have faith to make the effort, you gotta make the effort to be mindful, and mindfulness has to be supported by effort and, and trust or confidence, and it also has to be supported by clearly knowing, or even if it's just a little bit, what am I doing? What are, the, what are the fundamentals of what's being offered here? And so I would say the fundamental of being here tonight, the fundamental of being here and having a conversation is to really practice being present and notice when you're thinking about the snow. And I didn't have to think about that. I just went to Whole Foods today, and it was amazing how many people went to Whole Foods at 11 o'clock in the morning. So we have this idea of the snow. So we're thinking, okay, so we've got to have food. So it's going to snow, but it's only going to snow for one day. It's not going to snow for a whole week. But then we got to think about, okay, so what's motivating me to buy these groceries? Is it because I might be, you know, hung up for a week? Or is it because, you know, I just have to, that's one way I generate my anxiety or my fear of not knowing What's going to happen? Now, I'm not making fun of people because it's always good to have more food than less. <laughs> and it's also important to really uh, understand that, you know, you should fill up your car with gas because if you, you remember saw Hurricane Sandy and you're driving, if you happen to be driving uh, through New York, New Jersey, you see the long lines, you have to say, okay, the, the disasters that we've had, you just don't know what's going to happen. So there is this level of uncertainty or not knowing what's going to happen. And so what I'm suggesting is just, just watching ourselves, just ob observing our reactions to things in a way where we, we're able to have this quiet or silent witness where we're just observing things uncritically. 
Donald, what I'm asking is really challenging, but that's what it is. And so even now when I say things and when we talk about things, whatever triggers or whatever hits you, just be aware of that. Okay, and you might even ask yourself, why am I seeing things the way that I'm seeing things? Or what is the reactivity to what George is saying? We typically don't do that. We typically blame the other person and say, how dare they say that or whatever. We don't really go inside and say, wait a minute. There's a possibility we talk about with this practice where you create space between stimulus and response. This is what Victor Frankl said. He said in that space between stimulus and response is we have the freedom and power to choose and to transform. And so all of these, these um, activities that I'm involved in is really trying to help us get to a place where we're having good friends, we're having suitable conversation, conversations about how to, what I would call championship conversations, how to, how to have conversations and to talk in a way that leads to action, positive action. And this idea of maybe we could reflect on what we're doing before, during, and after. Wow, that's amazing. That would be amazing if we realized that what we do has consequences and we're thought and deed. So if we just focus on thinking, just thinking about that from moment to moment, you can be clear about well, how are you seeing things? What are you thinking? Because there's, there's, a, there's conversation going on, whether you know it or not. We call it self-talk. I've heard somebody refer to it as the inner roommate. And depending on whether it's positive or negative, I heard it called the negative committee. Because there's something, there's something going on all the time. There's that self-talk. And that self-talk, if we really listen to that self-talk, that self-talk is a reflection of, of what state of mind we're in. That self-talk is also telling us how we're seeing things and what's going to happen because it's going to communicate. Do you get what I'm saying? Does this make sense? And so I'm going to ask a question. So how many of you have difficult or, or relationships or interactions with another human being that are challenging? How many people have that? Okay. And how many of, them might, uh, how many of those people might reside in your household <laughs> or in your work environment? Work, love, and play, right? Or, or intimate relationship or friendship, right? So if you reflect on this, now we're reflecting, we're thinking about, this is part of wisdom, using mindfulness. Reflect on somebody that you're having an issue with right now. And I want to ask you, how many conversations have you had about that situation where the other person is not involved? <laughs> how many have had those conversations? You know, you have that inner conversation. And it's amazing that the conversation you have in your head is the one that you have when you go there. So what would happen if you just reflected on how do I want that conversation to be and then how do I change my thoughts or how, what conversations do I need to generate so that my conversation with them is more uh, harmonious. And so in this practice, we talk about things like uh, uh, right view, and that's what we call, if you talk about the Eightfold Noble Path, there's eight path factors, and, and the first two is, is right view and right intention or right thinking. And then, then there's the middle one, which is morality, which has to do with right speech, right action, right livelihood. And then there's the, the, the one that we know the most about, which is they call it the concentration. I like to call it the mental development or mental training piece, which is right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. And so all of these path factors help each other and they interact. And so you have to have a little bit of right view or, or I would say uh, wisdom or insight you know, the right, the right view and the right intention, that has to have the initial 
understanding of what is right speech, what is right action, what is right livelihood, what is right, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. And you understand that there's certain things that if we could do, the things are happening. Like, so like right now we think, well, I got to sit and meditate and go to therapy to understand how I'm going to answer this question or go on retreat. And that's true to some extent. But another extent is in this moment, you have to understand that what you do in this moment, how you think, you know, word, thought, and deed is going to set up the next moment. And so if, if we know, we, even if we don't know what we want to do, if we know that maybe being a little bit kinder might help, or maybe if we think we have love or we just go with this um, tolerance where, okay, I'm just, I'm not going to be hating to the hate, right? I'm just going to you know, relate to the person even though when I relate to them, they push my buttons and I, and I go into this, this uh, fight or flight response. How about creating some space where we can just see and reflect on how do I want this conversation to be? And maybe it's as, as, as simple as just being in the body and feeling the, uh, the intensity of the experience and just breathing with it and just getting to the point where there is space between stimulus and response. And in that space, we can choose, okay, I'm not going to react or I'm not going to do anything that's going to be harmful. So the best thing we can do is understand that having the right right idea or having the right view, maybe is as simple as having non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion. Maybe that's what, uh, you know, the right view is really for this moment. So if I know my mind has an unwholesome thought like anger, frustration, fear, we know the consequences are not going to be helpful. So if we know that there's fear in the mind, then we need to understand how can I relate to this where I'm not seeing things through the fear glasses because you're in fear mode then you're in fight or flight and we know that you can't be in survival and growth at the same time so how are you going to have a adult conversation if you're in survival mode you can't do it and so we start to understand okay even on a rough magnitude we can say well what kind of attitude do i have and you don't really need to know as much as seeing if if there's if it's unpleasant you're going to move towards it, we call approach. This is the nervous system. This is not personal. When the perception is that there's danger or perception is something is pleasant, we're going to move towards it or approach it. And if it's unpleasant, we're going to move away from it. And if it's neither pleasant or unpleasant, we're going to space out. That's what we do. It's not personal. This is what the nervous system does. So even if you don't know what state of mind you're in, just watch what your body's doing. Your body's moving towards something. That's telling you, okay, it's expecting something positive. If it's moving away, it's like, okay, uh, it's assuming it's going to be negative. And here's the interesting thing if we, while we're reflecting. Do you realize that 90% of our long-term happiness is predicated on how we interpret our experience? 90%. And we've got it backwards. We think it's 90% out there and... 10% in here. No, it's our interpretation. And so to the degree that we start to collect information, data, intelligence, or how things work, and then when we align ourselves with how things work, then we're going to be rolling. So even if we don't know who we want to be or what the meaning of our life is, if we align ourselves with love or kindness or curiosity or beauty, it's going to change our cognitive functioning. This is research. It, it tells you it's called the building broaden theory, that when you're in a positive state of mind, your perception of things are, are more 
panoramic. You, you, you see things more in a balanced way rather than being in the fight or flight or the freeze where you're in, you're in that tunnel. And so if we know that, then maybe one of the things we need to focus on is uh, creating what, what uh, Sean Accor, who wrote the book, The Happiness Advantage, Positive Genius. And so some of us in the old language is hope and optimism. That we have to have enough hope to think that, okay, so I have, I'm responsible for what happens to me. Uh-oh. I am responsible. I, I am self-determined. Now, I'm not saying that we haven't been conditioned and all that, but even though that's happened, now we can create space and choose how we want to be. And that's very existential because uh, uh, freedom of choice or, or accepting freedom, it's, there's a lot of, you know, it's like as much freedom as we have on the other side of that coin is anxiety or uncertainty. And so to the degree that we get closer to achieving our goal, the more anxiety we're going to experience. And Kierkegaard calls it the alarming possibility of being able. And so once we embrace that, so what I'm saying is, so with the wisdom is, okay, so we get to use anxiety as our school. So anxiety is here, uncertainty is there. Oh, that's interesting. And we can observe it uncritically and see, okay, when, when I don't know what's going on, I, I go out and I buy food. Or I eat food. <laughs> or I'm mean to somebody. Or I go play a video game. Or I get on a computer and check my email. Because it's uncomfortable. Remember I said you're going to avoid it? So we start to see how we are reacting to our lives in a way. And we would learn a lot because how we, how we are reacting is telling us how we are being. It would tell us how, how we're being. And I can guarantee you, the, if you want to see the worst of George, all you got to do is be in the car with me. And I'm in the car and, you know, you're driving and I, got, I, I have... Opinions about everybody driving. Too slow, too fast, get out of the way. I got some place to go. Well, I let you in and you didn't wave thank you. Ungrateful. <laughs> and so to the degree that I could see myself, and it, you could say I'm driving myself crazy. <laughs> because there's this reactivity, but to the degree that I can watch it and just let it be there, then it's telling me how I'm being. I'm saying, okay, so I'm acting like I know what the intention of the other person is. Or I'm acting like they don't have the right to be on the road when I'm on there. And when I can see that, when I can start to say, oh, okay, so I could just see, it's just a car. Something happened, and then I interpret what it means. So is my interpretation giving me more power or less? Is my interpretation of what happens, is it making me more calm or is it making me more hostile? And so this is, this is the freedom and power. This is what we have because I want to start off with the, with the I would call it, in, in opposition to the original sin, I would call it the original blessing, that we all have Buddha, nature, Christ consciousness, a masterpiece inside, and that's where we start from. We start from our, our basic goodness, our basic ability to connect to others, to want to connect to others, our basic ability to feel like uh, we belong here and we're connected. And so if we understand that and then we say, okay, well, I'm not really feeling that way, George. I'm not acting that way. Then we can look at, okay, so why is that? What is, what is, what is your mindset? Are you coming from fear? If you're coming from fear, you know where that's going. If you're coming from 
love, then, then it's going to be openness. You know you're going to be able to see things. So when I talked about the broaden and build thing, when you the cultivate positivity or what we would call strong self-efficacy belief or resilience, however you want to call it, that the scenarios you play out in your head are, are how, you, how you do what you want to do. It's not the scenarios that we normally have where it's playing out what's going to be wrong, how it's going to go wrong. And so we start with that. We start with the mindset. These glasses are like the mindset. And so if, it's, if these are the hate glasses, you all are in trouble, right? Because I'm going to be relating to you with through hate. Now, if I go down to love glasses, which I try to have, or which I have because Yoda said do or do not, there's no try, right? When I have on it love glasses, then all, it's all good. I'm seeing masterpieces out there loving um, folks that are loving and compassionate. And that's what I'm seeing. Now, you could say, well, I don't see that myself, George, but that ain't my problem. <laughs> that's your problem. My challenge is when I can see it, when I'm coming from a wholesome mind state, then I'm going to be open in my heart. My mind's going to be open, and now I can relate to you, and I'll be able to accept you as you are. Because by accepting you as you are, I'm accepting me as I am. So this is really basic, simple stuff, but it's challenging. Why? Because we're complicated and we have this idea about things instead of having an experience about things. And so I would say the whole thing is about being, right? It's all, it's all about who do we be or who do we want to be. And in that space between stimulus and response, we get to choose our core values or how we want to be, Right? So if you want to be loving and you're observing yourself and you're the opposite of loving, the uncritical observation will notice my reaction is not so loving. So it's my responsibility. What do I need to change so that my reaction is more aligned with who I say I want to be? And that's where we get back to the body and we start to think and then we reflect on, okay, this is how I did it the last time. So why don't I reflect and think about the next time it happens, I'm going to do this training I'm going to pray, maybe do med uh, loving kindness, or really just look at the other person and say, maybe, just like me, this person wants to be happy. And maybe if I see things the way the person sees things, that I do what they're doing. Wow. That kind of changes things, huh? But this is what we're capable of doing, but we will find that we're not able to do that. Why? Because we're identified with those emotions. We're identified with being a rebel or being somebody, well, you know, that relationship, I just don't like him or her, and, and this is how we're going to roll. And so what I'm offering here is this idea of um, wisdom now or never. So we start to see, well, how do we cultivate a mindset that's non, that is non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion? Now, that's a negative connotation. Of course, you could fill that in with, with when you talk about greed, you can talk about generosity. You can talk about renunciation or sacrifice. And if you talk about hatred, you can talk about love, compassion, kindness, uh, appreciative joy, whatever the issue is. And then the idea of the, the non-delusion is what we're talking about, wisdom. When we focus on how do we do this thing called life, how can we live a compassionate, loving, um, being kind type of life and that has to do with our thoughts it has to do with how we're seeing things and so when we take responsibility for how we're viewing things we take responsibility on our reactions to life and saying okay that's telling me something but can we have that uncritical observation of what's happening or how we're reacting rather than being identified with it and then justifying it and rationalizing bad behavior 
Well, you know, she did that to me, and she started it, and she's in trouble. Well, he's in trouble. And so I was saying, wait a minute. I can choose to say, you know something? I, I'm going to sacrifice being right. That's a good one, because that's the one that keeps us stuck is I'm right. Yeah, we can give up being right. We can even give up the fact that anything's wrong. That's a good one. When we do that, then we create space and then we can just be. And even if the other person doesn't react, it's not about them. It's about us. It's about us being able to say that, you know, my mind or my thoughts have everything to do with how I behave and how I feel. There's actually a book called The Strangest Secret. Do you all know what The Strangest Secret is? You want me to tell you what The Strangest Secret is? You become what you think about. So if you don't like the way you're being, you've got to change how you're thinking. Now, that sounds easy, and it's challenging because, there's, like I said, there'll be justification, rational, rationalizing why we're doing things. Because we get identified with what happens to us instead of realizing it's just passing stuff. It's not who we are. Or as um, this guy said, you are not what you think you are, but what you think you are. You are not what you think you are, but what you think you are. So if we just keep it real simple and just think about what thoughts are we aware of. And, and so the initial thing about this practice is at first we say no to the negative thoughts. And then we change them with positive thoughts. And this is what right effort is about, is how do you abandon unwholesome thoughts? And how do you cultivate wholesome thoughts? Because you can't have positive and negative thoughts at the same time. It's either going to be positive or negative. It's either going to be wholesome or unwholesome. It's not going to be both. And so when we cultivate mindfulness, and forget about mindfulness, you just cultivate love, you cultivate care, kindness, compassion, then that's helpful. That's helpful. But if we have to start off with this idea that we can choose the thoughts we have, but we have to understand what thoughts are we having and how do we change them. And so I can give you some, some ideas, but each person has to work it out for themselves. That's what makes this very challenging and very interesting is that each person has to work it out for themselves and so know thyself is really huge here how do i behave when anger is in my mind how do i behave when i'm frustrated how do i behave when i feel like somebody cut me off and didn't listen to me how do i resolve conflict so those are kind of the questions but it always starts off with uh, the most important thing that we have this masterpiece within, but without a burning desire, without having a motivation or a sense of urgency, nothing is going to change. And I would say we spend most of our time between boredom and anxiety. And then we feel anxious when we are challenged and we don't feel like we have the capacity or the capability to meet the challenge. So we have to continue to develop skills, knowledge, and experience. So I think about it as learning, practicing, and performing or experiencing. So if you perform a certain way or you have a bad experience, then you go back and learn something, then practice it until you have the experience you want. So you might have heard that, that uh, it's a biblical thing where, oh, it's not just biblical, because in this practice I heard it too. You know, you're sitting and your mind wanders off, and even if, even if you have to remind yourself what you're focusing on, breath or whatever, even if you do it 70 times 7, but that 70 times 7 is not a number. That's really just a metaphor for you keep doing it till you can do it. 
That's what diligence is. You keep doing it until you can do it. So if it takes you two million times, who cares? The idea is to begin again. And that's the amazing thing about where we are right now. This is a new year. We get to begin again. But in order to begin again, you got to make peace with this stuff from before. You got to let that go. You got to renunciate it. And you say, well, I can't let that go. Well, how's that working for you? <laughs> that's what I would say. But we have to learn how to let go, let be, forgive and forget, and then start over again. This is a new time because the one way of looking at sin is to not meet your aim. And so when you sin or you don't meet your aim, all you got to do is say, I'm, I'm sorry, I'll do better. Didn't get back on purpose. I grew up with this idea when you violate something, you're done. You can't undo it. <laughs> There's no forgiveness. You screwed up. But I'm here to tell you, no, that's, that's, that's self-imprisonment. We can get out of prison by saying, you know something, that was then, I apologize, and then get back on track, I'm good. Then you start up, you're back in integrity. So these are the things I'm talking about, just looking at ways how we imprison ourselves, how we identify with our experience, rather than focusing on what, who we say we want to be, focusing on, this, uh, on, on the idea that, that it's our thinking, our, our attitude, and that we've got to have a meaning. It's got, we've got to have some want to here. And I'll tell you, my experience, people told me when I was in college, oh, you should meditate. You should do Tai Chi. You should do yoga. I'm not going to tell you what I said. But basically, I said, give me a brew. I'm good. Or it could be a joint or whatever it is, and I'm good. And it wasn't until my ass was on fire that I said, oh, maybe I'm going to try that. <laughs> I'm going to try that meditation. I'm in chronic pain. I call it the mo AOF motivation, ass on fire. It's not because, you know, I said, oh, I'm, I'm such an intelligent dude. I'm going to do this because this is the right thing to do. Nah, it doesn't work like that. So my butt was on fire, a sense of urgency. And Joseph Campbell calls it a call to adventure. Of course, uh, if you watch uh, Alice in Wonderland, it's going down the rabbit hole. So all of these metaphors are saying things, something about our experience and how we relate to it, how we have to understand that when something really bad happens, like with me being addicted to uh, you know, pain medicine and drugs, that's the best thing that ever happened to me. Because it's only through the intensity, and, and you know, Joseph Campbell said it, your life is where your pain is. So instead of, if you embrace what's there or what Victor Frankl talks about, finding meaning in suffering. One of the ways he says you can, you can find meaning is when you are confronted with unavoidable suffering, you get to choose your attitude. You get to choose how you're going to respond or react to it. So you can respond to it with dignity and grace. With this idea of, okay, maybe the meaning is for me to be the best person I can be in spite of people, places, and things. And here's a guy that was in four different concentration camps. He wrote a manuscript, and it was in his clothes that he had to give out, give a, you know, had to leave behind. Then he had to write the book over again. But this is what I find when I work with people. Is those who have a meaning or they can find meaning in suffering, it ceases to be suffering. This is from um, James Baldwin. It says, I read this before, but it's on an artist's struggle for integrity and how it illuminates the universal experience of what it means to be human. He says, well, one, 
Well, one survives that no matter how you survive this or, or in some terrible way, which I suppose no one can ever describe, you are compelled, you are corralled, you are bullwhipped into dealing with whatever it is that hurt you. And what is crucial here is that if it hurt you, that is not what's important. Everybody's hurt. That makes sense? Everybody's hurt here? What is important, what corrals you, what bullwhips you, what drives you, torments you, is that you must find some way of using this to connect you with everyone else alive. This is all you have to do with it. This is all you have to do it with. You must understand that your pain is trivial except insofar as you can use it to connect with other people's pain. And insofar as you can do what, you can do that with your pain, you can be released from it. And then hopefully it works the other way around too. Insofar as I can tell, as, insofar as what I can tell you what it is to suffer, perhaps I can help you to suffer less. Then you make, oh, 15 years later, several thousand drinks later, two or three divorces, God knows what, how many broken friendships in an exile of one kind or another, some kind of breakthrough, which is your first articulation of who you are. That is to say, you first artic your first articulation of who you suspect we all are. And so, to me, that you can read whatever you want into that, but this is the, this is the thing. The Buddhist teaching is suffering and the end of suffering. And so understanding that when we suffer it, and this is what Viktor Frankl says, it ceases to be suffering when we, when we can attach meaning to it. So my addiction ceases to be suffering when I can relate to it like, okay, I can help other people so that they don't go through what I went through. But as Hans Selye says, this guy that wrote The Stress of Life, it's through the stress that our latent abilities are, are called to, to be. That's what, that's what Joseph Campbell says, the uh, hero's journey, right? Is when we, uh, uh, Robert Frost said, the only way out is through. When we can embrace it and say, okay, there's a lesson for me to, to learn here. There's something for me to get here. What is it? And can I bring this interest and curiosity to it? Because I'm here to tell you the, the AOF motivation got me here, but to keep me here, it became a joy of discovery. Wisdom begins in wonder, this idea of excitement and the idea of learning and being able to help other folks. And little tiny things like last week I had this printer that I bought, and I had it for 13 months before I decided to put it up. And so, so when I connected it, of course, I don't know how many of you folks have I've had printers over the years, and usually they give you a, a, a CD, a ROM with it. Now when you buy a computer, and uh, I mean the printer, and the printer has its own like computer interface, and then you, you connect it to a computer, and then you go on the website, you download the software, and then you just, it's like simple. And I had no idea what the hell I was doing, but it was great. <laughs> because I just follow instructions and act like I didn't know anything, right? Because my always, no, I got to use the CD-ROM, and I got to do this, and how many of you have had that? Well, you're trying to do things that are here today as if it was yesterday. And things are changing all the time. You get a new phone, you get an iPhone 10 or 9, whatever it is, it's going to be way different than the one you have. And then you're going to be upset. How come it's not like that, like the other one? But the reality is we have to change. And so this is the thing, impermanence. You know, everything is in transition. And so the question is, how are we going to be? So we may not be able to choose how things change, but we can choose how we're going to be in that change. That's where the power, the freedom, the transform, and the the, the freedom and power to choose 
how we're going to be. And so I won't talk a lot more about, about this idea of wisdom. Um, and like I said, I've been having these different conversations in, in the different venues because this is a continuous conversation because once you start having a conversation, the conversation disappears. So whether it's an internal conversation or a conversation with other folks, and I'll open it up and we'll be able to have more of, I like more of an interactive Socratic style of interaction and challenging me. That's great. We call it Dharma combat around here. Uh, it's not really combat. It's just, just being able to, to have a friendly conversation and, and the, the disagree without being disagreeable, if that's what what's called for. But just having this conversation and having this um, opportunity to talk to you about this, especially with a new year, because we, we can begin again right now. This is the time. Either we're going to have wisdom or freedom now, or we ain't going to have it. So it's like, okay, how do we do this now? How do we start to, to get to this? Because if we have to sit for so many hours and everything before we're happy, man, I'm not feeling that one. <laughs> it's like be happy now, and you, you get to choose that because you can relate to it, and you can change your, change your mind. But you can do it on purpose. That's what we mean by being mindful and then understanding with wisdom. The understanding tells us how to make more wise decisions. And when we don't make a wise decision, can we reflect on it and learn the lesson so that the next time or after 10,000 more times, at some point we get it. Oh, I don't have to do that anymore. Oh, here's another way. Oh, that's great. So there's way more I could talk about, but I think I want to stop there and just really kind of summarizing this whole thing of, well, what's the take-home? The take-home is that you don't have to meditate to learn. It's all about learning, learning about yourself, learning how you're relating to situations. So if I just say all you have to do is just realize that all you have to do is watch yourself mindfully or uncritical, uncritically so it's like this relaxed receptivity or this silent witness. So it's almost like you, you can look at it like um, uh, notice, uh, relax, and then, and then decide what you're going to do. But it's just an observation, and that's challenging because it's hard to observe things without being identified with it. But this is what we're doing, creating space between stimulus and response and realizing that we get to choose who we're going to be. We get to choose, but we also have to be aware of the fact that our mindset, the glasses that we have on, that's what a mindset is like, glasses, is only going to allow us to see some things and not allow us to see other things. So we need to know, oh, we got on glasses, and we got on that love glasses, the hate glasses, if we just leave it at that. You know, in my book, I talk about two wolves, the grandfather, the Cherokee grandfather is talking to his grandson, and he says, there's two wolves inside of me, one is love, one is fear, and they're having this, they're having this tremendous battle in the Grandson being concerned that which one is going to win, and the grandfather says, what? The one that I feed. So when I talk about right effort, when I talk about a mind of non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion, I'm talking about feeding the love wolf. And, but we have to embrace the other wolf as well. But which one do you want to win the battle? And that's the one that you feed, and that's what we're doing here, believe it or not. We're feeding that or we're creating the possibility, we're creating the environment for people to start to talk about what's, what's their performance challenge or what they, are they struggling with or what are they doing really well and, and it's working, 
then we can reflect on how that's working and we start to analyze, you know, you know what kind of mindset, what were you thinking, what were you feeling, how, what, how were you viewing the situation. Okay, so that's, that's the takeaway. The takeaway is just something that you can take away so that it will, will enable you to be able to practice some of these principles I'm um, offering tonight. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.